Good morning, family, or at least part of the family that's awake and here. Those of you that are watching on YouTube or via the radio, it's great to have you join with us and uh, on this uh, very special month, the month of May, where in Pretoria we're so privileged to have God do such wonderful things in terms of church unity all across Twane. We've got churches coming together over this month, and we do the One Twane series where we all preach from the same topics. Every church and community applies and do it in their own style and are free to do that, but uh, we all speak from the same place. And we're going to talk today about One Heart as the first part of this four-part series that we'll be doing. But before I get to share the message, we just uh, received some news yesterday that the very sad passing of Tani Anna Cronier. Many of you old Hatfielders will remember, remember Tani Anna, um, Chris and Tani Anna were pastors here at Hatfield. The, um, Chris lectured at the training center. He was my Greek lecturer. And amongst other things, we had a hiking club that we ran. And um, Tani Anna also facilitated and helped with many of our younger families uh, in prenatal and antenatal care. And they were really loved in this community uh, for, and were long-serving members of this community for a they haven't been here for a while. They were in the service the other day, the earlier this year, so we're so glad that they were able to join us, but she passed away yesterday, and we think of all her family, her loved ones, and pray for just their peace and their grace for them also during this time. Today, I want to share this message, One Heart for God, and as you know, if you were here last week, that we are preparing for Wednesday. Wednesday is the big opportunity for us to get to vote and as Christians, we want to make sure that we're particularly in the right places in our hearts when we vote. It's each of us. We are free to make our decision as we vote. And I will not say anything about how you should vote and what you should vote. But, I, but the foundation on which we vote is what I want to talk on a little bit. Do you like my South African scarf? Because I want to take it off. It slips. And then it's like this. And then it irritates people. So I'm going to take it off. Oopsie. Now I've hooked. Oh, sound guys are going to. Got it. Not used to wearing scarves. So. I've had this tie for about 20-something years, and I think it's the first time I actually get to wear it. A little South African flag. So we want to be in a place today. We want to present our nation to the Lord and bring our nation to the Lord. So we want to, and I know there's many of you that are not born South Africans, but you're living here, and you also have an interest in how well it goes with our nation but not just because you're living here, but because we want to see God's kingdom come all over the earth. We want to present this nation over this week to the Lord. And to help us within that space, I want to go to a wonderful psalm, Psalm 96, in uh, obviously the book of Psalms. Psalm 96, some, is, some is, calls it one of the great missionary psalms. And I want to unpack it a little bit and talk about our hearts for God and uh, the one heart that we should have for God as a people, as a nation, as a city, especially as that heart is expressed through worship as it's spoken about in this psalm. Now this psalm is a psalm that David wrote in Psalm 96, but it's actually him recording a lot of the song and the prayer that he wrote in Chronicles when the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into the tabernacle of God. So in that great moment where God's presence was restored to the nation of Israel, David wrote a song, and he captures that song in this song, Psalm 96. And uh, I want to begin by verse 1 to 3, and as I often do, I'm just going to read portions of the Scripture and make some comments on it. Psalm 96, verse 1 to 3, I read from the NIV version. Sing to the Lord a new song. 
Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. This is an amazing psalm if you think of its context. It's a psalm that is revolutionary. It's a psalm that is way ahead of its time in what it is actually proclaiming. Remember, this was a time when it was felt by the Jewish people that they had a relationship with God, but that they were the only people that knew God, Yahweh, and worshipped Him. They didn't think of the nations. They didn't include the nations. Whenever they prayed, they prayed for their nation. Their nation was called by God, placed by God, to be the carriers of God's presence. They didn't think beyond that. But here on this amazing day, A great day of nationhood, a great day of national celebration, the Ark of the Covenant that was lost, which is such a symbol of what their nation is built around. It's one of their national treasures, one of their national symbols, religious symbols, has been lost, has been kept by the Philistines in such a terrible situation. That Ark is now brought back. David brings it back. Puts it in the tabernacle. In that moment of such national pride and excitement and relief and joy, David writes this song. He doesn't say, sing to the Lord, O Israel. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. All the earth. What an amazing thought. That's why I say it's way ahead of its time. I think most of the Jewish people at that time that read it sort of went, can't quite know why that's there. Surely sing to the Lord. The Hebrew people, sing to the Lord, sing for joy. But he says, sing a new song. This new song is a song, in, in the, it's the, word, the, the word new there means fresh. It's, it's like it's never happened before. This song is a new song because it's the first time that there's a possibility of a song that all nations can sing together. Not just one nation. David is literally saying, there's a song that is arising that all nations can sing to God. Not one nation, not one people group, not one language, but all peoples will sing a new song. See, every nation has songs. Every nation has their own expressions of their stories, their experiences, their hopes, their fears, their joys, their sorrows that they voice through song. In our nation, we've got songs. We've got our national anthem, which is a a wonderful song that is there to try and bring our nation together, to be a symbol of our nationhood. We've got other songs. From my background, I'm an Afrikaans person. There's songs that speak about my people's experience. Now, I'm not going to sing any of them to you. I don't know too many of them too well. But those of you that are Afrikaans, every people group here among us, every nation, if you're a Zulu person, you have songs. We have songs like Shoshaloza, which is a South African kind of song. We, we sing, we, we have these expressions. But I don't know if there's a song that all the earth can sing together with equal passion, equal meaning and value. Can you think of a song that we can say If we get all peoples, all 8 billion people on this planet, 
were able to get them together and say, now we're going to sing our song. I don't think we have such a song. But here David says, sing a new song. All the earth, sing a new song. All the earth, sing a new song. And this is our God. You see, it's only our God that is big enough, supreme enough, high enough, that He can create a canopy, a place for all nations to come together, for all nations to be united, for all nations to express and find their place and share their hopes and share their dreams and share their fears and share their concerns. It's only our God that can say, I come, bring, and there's one song that we can all sing together. Now that one song may sound different in different places. I don't think it's necessarily just, I think in heaven we're going to all sing one song together. But I think while we're on earth, that one song sounds different in different places. It had different words in different languages. It has different tones and rhythms and harmonies and it has different expressions and ways of doing it. But what makes it one song is when whatever language and whatever culture I come from, we're all singing in the same direction. We're all singing to the same person. We're all singing to the same one. We're all worshiping and exalting and putting us as higher than any other, the same God. Then we begin to sing one song. I don't think it's the fullness of it, but we are on this planet now already across the earth singing this new song. And when David wrote this, this was unimaginable. But you and I today get to live it, don't we? Right here in this room, we get to live it. Different people singing together. Whenever you go any place in the world or any people group you visit, sometimes you go to places that, and you don't understand the language of a person, but yet we're singing the same song. Because we're singing with the same heart to the same God. There's one heart. Our city, so diverse. Our city has such vast, Different experiences. The people of our city can be so easily divided into different groupings. But aren't you glad that in our city, in every language, every grouping, there's worship that goes off to God. On this morning, on this day, our city worships. And we worship in the same direction, we worship the same God. And there's a new song. That is filling the earth. And that song is growing. And it is our privilege and our task to see that song rise up. And this, song, this, this psalm is called the, the missionary psalm because it, in it contains this mandate for us to go to all nations. To gather all nations to worship God. John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You see the task of missions is to go and create worship. It's to go throughout the earth and to find the places where there's not worship for God, where the new song is not being sung, and to bring people and to say, you can also sing this song. You belong in this song. This is your song because it is about God. It's about Him. Therefore, no one nation can say, our song is the song. No one people can stand up and say, our song is the one that should be sung. But it's all of us singing to Him and putting our song before Him. Missions is the work of worship leaders. 
I'm so wonderfully blessed in our church with worshipers and those that facilitate and, as we so often say, lead worship in our churches that have heart for missions. That missions and worship is together because they are the same thing. When we worship, we are lifting Him up so that He can be known. Many, many, many years ago, Natasha and I had the privilege of being asked to go and speak, speak on a Sunday morning to preach in a little Baptist church in the UK, sort of the Midlands of England, and uh, picked us up and they drove us out for about an hour into the countryside, and uh, England, in, to drive an hour in England is to drive far. And uh, we drove and we finally got to this little Baptist church, and there were about 25 people there that morning. But it really didn't matter to me because of that. It was wonderful and to minister to those people. But that little church is called the Clipston Baptist Church. And that Clipston Baptist Church is where in 1792, Jim, oh, Jim Carey, William Carey, not Jim Carey. I actually made sure that I wasn't going to say this, so I tried it. So what you focus on is what you do. William Carey, the great missionary, with some of his friends, pastors and friends were reading Psalms like Psalm 96 and other scriptures. And they were thinking and considering what is the response of the church to be if God says all nations. And as they prayed together and, and in different places and, and one particular weekend they were gathered and they were praying together as young people in this church. And it's at that little church that they decided they have to start a missionary movement. And to start a little uh, a missionary organization, not little, but a missionary organization. That, so that from there they can go into all the world and, and share who God is with people. So that others can join in in worshiping. So that other tongues can sing and praise this beautiful, wonderful God. He said this when they were gathered, him and his friends, two of them were Andrew Fuller and John Ryland. And he said to them, I will go down if you will hold the rope. And he had this picture in his mind, William Carey, of a mine, a pit mine, and he had to jump in to go and look for the gold in the mine, to find the worship for God in the mine. But he said, I will go down into the mine if you hold the rope. And they, they made an oath to one another because some of them were going to stay behind and be the pastors in their villages and towns and continue to spur people on to take the gospel to all the earth and he, he, he took an oath from each of us, uh, William, John Ryland writes, as at the mouth of the pit to this effect, that we, will, that we lived, we should never let go of the rope. As long as we lived, we should never let go of the rope. And William Carey left, and as you know, and he went to India, brought the, the name of Jesus in that subcontinent. But he had people on the one hand holding the rope, and he jumped into the pit. And I want to tell you, we all have pits that we have to jump in to go looking for the gold. We all have been called by God to go and stir worship in new places. For new songs to be sung in new places. To replace the songs of nationalism with the songs of the kingdom. To replace the songs of sorrow with songs of hope in Jesus. To replace the songs of brokenness, the songs of struggle with the songs of the everlasting life and life in abundance that is in Jesus. Every one of us. 
For some of us, our pit that we jump into is our work environment. For some of us, it's our family. For some of us, it's our neighborhood. It's our, it's our everyday life. And we all need other people to hold the other end of the rope. And that's what a community does. A community of people are people that are going out in the week to go and make worship for God. To worship Him in places and to extract from those places the gold of worship that belongs to God. But we hold each other's ropes as we go forth and we make worship. Our nation so much has been done in our nation. We have such a rich heritage. We have such a presence of Christianity. But let us not be fooled and think there's not space for a lot more worship in our nation. Our city needs to worship God. And that's our privilege, is to jump in and to go and worship. And I'll, I'll speak a little bit more about that just now. In verse 4 to 8, he addresses, who do we worship? Who is this person that we are worshiping and calling others to worship? And he says for, for the following, For God, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. For he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. This God that we know is worthy to be worshipped. And I want to mention two reasons. There's many reasons, but two reasons particularly that evokes worship from us. And it's these two things that God is uniquely owners, own, has ownership over. It's only God that can claim these two things. If you don't have these two things, you cannot be a God. And our God is the only two that can claim these two things. First of all, Creator. He's the Creator. That deserves worship all of itself, is to worship the one who made everything. That with his voice and his breath brought everything into existence, that deserves worship. I don't know if you've ever experienced just the wonder of our world and worship just gets drawn from you. You, you almost can't help yourself. Where, where we go on holiday and so often in late at night or early in the morning if you're up, there's very little light in that area. And if, if it's a cloudless night, it's just stars. And when I stand there and I look up, and I think for a moment of the expanse and the beauty and the wonder of how this is just even possible that this all can exist, something rises up within me. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I'm so glad I, I don't have to worship gas explosions. But I can worship a very personal living God, the Creator. The Creator. But not only is He the Creator, He's also the Redeemer. And that deserves worship all on its own. That this creator that made us and therefore actually has ownership over us, if you want to put it that way. It's not how he entirely sees it, but he made us. We, don't, we owe our existence, our very breath to him. He, he, he made us. That awesome creator. When we turned our back on him and we rebelled against him and ran away, ran away from him, he said, I am going to buy you back. He owned us once by creating us. 
And then He brought us back a second time when we failed and ran away from Him by sending His Son to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin so that we can be redeemed and brought back. He's got double ownership over us. That deserves worship. Have you ever stood and looked at yourself and recognized your sin? Recognized your failure? Recognized how incomplete, imperfect, how sometimes terrible you can be? And then say, thank you, Jesus. You died for me. You have given me life. I don't deserve it, but you redeemed me. And then when, I, when that happens, worship rises. He's a creator, he's a redeemer, and that deserves worship. That is who we worship. We worship the creator. We worship the redeemer. Verse 9 to 10, he talks a little bit about who must worship. We've spoken about who do we worship. Now, who are the people that must worship? Worship the Lord in, in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Who is to worship this God of ours? All people. All people. Not one nation. Not a couple of nations. But all people. There's no longer one nation or one people that can say, we worship God. It is God's desire that all nations worship Him. Therefore, as children of God, there's no one people that we exclude. There's no one people that we say, not them, but every nation. And if you know this, but according to statistics I found, which I think is up to date, Brian may check me on this, is that there are currently still a thousand, over 1,600 completely unreached people groups on this planet. People that have never had contact with Christianity. There are over 5,000 people groups that have been, had minimal contact. Where it hasn't had impact yet, but it is, they've had some contact with the gospel. Our job's not finished. Because God wants those languages, those vocabularies to worship Him. He wants them to be included in the new song. He wants them to, be, to find their expression. Aren't you glad that we don't all have to learn one language to worship God in? But every language, every tribe, every tongue. Some find it very easy to jump up and down, to dance. Some, it's very quiet. But we all worship. We can all come and be included. And this is the heart of our God, that everyone will have the joy of worshiping Him. The privilege of worshiping Him. Somebody said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God wants no people to not enjoy Him forever. He wants every person. He wants every tribe, every nation, every tongue. In fact, in Job chapter 38, verse 7, he says the following, that when the morning stars sang together, they were praising God. Not only does he want all people, but all creation is to worship him. All creation reverberates, was made. Somebody said creation is a great instrument that worships God. Didn't Jesus say, if you stop worshiping me, then the trees, the rocks will cry out. Then if you become silent, you will hear their worship. 
because they worship Him. All creation was made to reverberate this declaration all the time of how wonderful and how beautiful our God is. He is intrinsic to everything that He made. Everything comes from Him. He's not in everything. He created outside of Himself, but everything reverberates and reflects who He is and declares His praises. Later on in the psalm, it says, and the trees will cry out. Remember that old song and the, the, the clapping of the trees and how the, the nature creates worship unto God. And this, this consistent sound of worship is being declared. The problem is that when we fell in sin, we, we got out of tune. We lost the tune of worship, if you think musically. And that had a great effect on the rest of creation, you see, because we were the chief worshipers. We're the only ones in creation made by God with the choice Everything else, as we understand, has in their DNA, it's part of what they do, they worship God. We were given the choice to worship God or not to worship Him. And when we chose not to worship Him, we stepped out of tune, and now the rest of creation is struggling with our out-of-tune singing. I should know what that does to people. I do it all the time. It's best that I do not sing publicly. It's a joyful noise unto the Lord. You see, when the chief worshipers, when the, when the worship leaders of the earth, mankind, is out of tune and worshiping in the wrong direction, worshiping the wrong things, worshiping in the wrong way, in the, the scripture says creation groans because their worship is being distorted by us. But the new heaven, the new Jerusalem is coming. The new heavens and the new earth, where worship for eternity will be restored to God, where we will come back into tune. And in fact, you and I that have been washed by the blood of Christ and have the Spirit of God living within us, He is consistently retuning us. Remember that Psalm, Psalm 19, verse 14, let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you. That word meditation, let the song, the reverberating song of my life be in tune with you, that I will worship you. When we pray for our nation, perhaps this is a prayer we can pray, Lord, let our nation come into tune to worship you, to worship you. Tune our nation, Lord. Luke 19, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. May we join and worship. Why do we worship? Verse 11 to 13. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. When He describes this worship, doesn't it sound fun to you? Doesn't it sound fantastic? Praise, joy. Worship is described as something that is great for us to do. It is beautiful. It, is, it evokes in us. Our greatest emotions is brought out in worship. Somebody described worship as divine intoxication. 
It's when you've consumed so much of God, when you've started seeing Him. I always think that worship is a response to a revelation. It's when you've seen God, when you behold Him, and you start recognizing how good and how beautiful and how wonderful it is. You get intoxicated with Him. Remember the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out, and, and, and the crowd started saying, these people are drunk. And, and Paul, Peter went outside and said to them, these are not drunk as you suppose. I like the fact that he said, as you suppose, which means... They are drunk, but not in the way that you think they're drunk. Because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. They are drunk, but not as you suppose. These people are drunk. They've been intoxicated by the living God. They've been grabbed hold of their imaginations, their hearts, their life, their everything. Has been taken captive by the beauty and the splendor and the wonder of this God. We get to worship Him. Now we know that worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not singing merely. Worship is not just this. When we gather together this hour and a half, if I'm preaching hour and 40 minutes on a Sunday, it's not this. This is a part of worship. I like this analogy that somebody drew. Worship is like visiting an airport to go, uh, going to church to worship is like going to visit an airport to watch airplanes fly. I remember when we were little, I don't know about, you remember those years when I didn't know anybody that flew anywhere. Nobody that I knew went anywhere. And uh, when I was about 13, I think grade 7, my mom went to Israel with a church tour from here. Pastor Ed and them went on a church tour to Israel. And so she was so excited, the whole tour, 22 days, still cost 1,700 rand. Praise the Lord. So she went off to, and, and I can remember that day, it was the first time I went to the airport. And we stood there by the glass, you know that glass, and you look at these airplanes taking off. And I was like, wow, watching airplanes fly. But these airplanes weren't really flying. I mean, they were beginning to fly. They were just taking off. You see, on Sunday when we come to church, this is our launching pad of worship. These are where the planes take off. But in the week, the planes fly where, you, where we can't see them, but that's where the worship really reaches its altitude. That's where the worship cruises along. That's where the worship happens. The worship happens tomorrow when you're at work tonight, when you're helping your children with their homework, when you're making their lunches. That's when the worship happens. When you're having a conversation with a difficult person, that's when the worship happens. When you're working out your budget and dealing with your money, that's when your worship happens. When you're submitting a contract and, 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 or a tender, that's when your worship happens. When, you, when you're working for somebody, helping somebody, when you're driving on our roads, that's when the worship happens. Here, the planes take off. And sometimes this is where they come and land. But if they're not flying in the week, then we just decide show. Then we're just a place where you come and watch airplanes up, get up and down and land. And we can charge for the children to pay to see planes come up and down and land. But nobody's going anywhere. No, we fly in the week. And worship is not just singing. Worship is not just me singing. Worship is everything. When I bring order to a place of chaos, that's worship. When I give my best in a situation, that's worship. When I honor somebody because God honors them, I worship. When I love, I worship. All of that is worship. 
Now, singing is a wonderful form of worship, and I think singing should always, our, our corporate singing together should always be treated as special. So I don't want to diminish that by saying it's not just that. Because when we sing together, it's such a beautiful place of unity where hearts and minds come together and we express with our whole being our belief system. We tell who God is in our songs. And singing is so powerful, music is such a powerful thing that draws people together and stirs emotions. And when we sing, may we come together and declare how great our God is. And we often do this in these three postures to worship that we incorporate and should incorporate all the time. Whether we're worshiping privately, it's the, 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 the things of our heart, it's the postures of our heart. When we come together corporately, whether it's in your work, whatever, however you're worshiping, these postures are there. The first posture, and I'll just talk about them briefly, is the posture of prostration. Being prostrate before God. I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Hebrew word, Hishtahaweh. I tried. I said, I lied. I said, I'm not going to try, but I tried. It means to bow the neck. We know the Greek word a little bit better, to proskuneo, which means to bow the knee. It's when we come to worship God, is when we say, Lord, I want to be small. Because in you, in comparison to you, I'm small. I want to make this about you, not about me. I mean, this morning in this room, as many people as there are, you can times that by 10 or 15. That's how many needs there are. You may have come here this morning with a, a very urgent felt need of perhaps you need healing in your body. Perhaps it's a financial need that you have. Perhaps it's a relational need or whatever, emotional need or spiritual need. Whatever need you may have that may be pressing on you, that is so on your heart that you can scarcely think of anything else. You, you're desperately looking and hoping that in this time that something will happen that will give you direction or at least relief. But can I tell you, when we come to worship, there are times where prostration is, Lord, I put my need aside because this is not about me. It's about you. And I come to worship you. I come to declare how great you are. My circumstances may be challenging that thought, but I want the truth to be known. Not because you don't know it, but because I need to know it, and I need others to know it. And I don't want to live in a world where you are not the greatest. So we prostrate, we come and we, we, we make ourselves flat against the earth. Whenever your world starts falling apart, whenever you start feeling like the edges are getting away from you and you don't know what to do and you, you're struggling, can I encourage you? That's a great time to go and be prostrate before the Lord because it's only Him that can bring order. It's only Him that when we put Him in the center, He brings everything in its rightful place around Him because He speaks to us. But if I cannot get past my own needs, then it becomes difficult to worship Him. Because then I'm coming with an agenda. Worship is, I'm just, you deserve my love, Lord. And that's the second posture of worship, is adoration. Worship is an act of love. Where prostration speaks about that position of humility, it's a posture of humility. Adoration is the posture of love. You see, you and I, we're in a love relationship with God. We love Him. He deserves to be loved. 
This is not a servant-master relationship. This is a father-son, father-daughter relationship. This is a God that loves us. And because He first loved us, we can respond. And one of the ways is we respond by adoring Him in our worship. It's wonderful when we have beautiful times together where we just tell God we love Him. We just love Him. He is just so beautiful. He's just so good that we declare that we love Him. Worship without love is like a flame without heat. It's like a rainbow without color. It's like a flower without perfume. Worship should have spontaneity. It should have emotion. Now, we're not emotionalists, but, you know, when you're in that moment where your love for God is just so real for you, there's emotion. Sometimes we cry in worship. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we shout. Sometimes we're angry. Some, whatever, but those emotions get stirred in us. Aren't you glad that your emotions is part of your worship for God? There's a spontaneity. There's a life to it. Worship shouldn't be all brand flakes. You eat it because it's really good for you, but it really tastes horrible. And that's least my conviction. Worship is, is fantastic. Worship gives meaning to our lives. If you don't like worship, then eternity is going to be a long time for you. Because there's a lot of worship. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But there's a lot of worship. Because it's the best place for us to live in is the place where God is worshipped. You see, because if you don't worship God, you worship the next best thing. If you remove the highest and you stop worshiping the highest, you worship the next. And you know who's the next in the line to be worshipped if you take God away. In our experience, it's us. Then we start worshipping people. We start worshipping ourselves. And I don't know if you've read history. Whenever we worship people, it doesn't work out so great. Ask the Germans in the 40s. Ask the Russians, ask the Cambodians, ask the South Africans. Whenever we start worshiping somebody, when we exalt people and their thoughts and their ideas above God, we end up getting kicked in the teeth by the very ones that we worship. It's only God that is good enough and strong enough and powerful enough to be worshipped. It's only God whose ego is not going to run away with him when everybody tells him how wonderful he is because he knows the truth. And he doesn't get worship because he needs to know it. He gets worship because that's what is true and right. And that's the love relationship we have with him. We adore him. The last posture is the posture of exaltation. This is the posture of honor. This is the posture of giving glory. This is the posture of ascribing. This is the posture of telling everybody how wonderful our God is. How awesome he is. It's about lifting up his name and saying, there's no one better than him. There's no one bigger than him. I love him, but because he is so big, so wonderful, so kind, yet so close, so near, I exalt him. And this is the, the privilege that we have, is to exalt the name of Jesus. Is to lift up that name. To worship that name. Now, whenever you come close to worship, real worship, it moves you. Whenever you come close to somebody either prostrate before God or adoring God or exalting God, just seeing, experiencing that in somebody stirs something in you. That's why we love worship music. There's a whole industry 
of music, of worship. And we all enjoy it. We all appreciate it. We all, it's so fantastic whenever I'm driving in my car or at home and put my volume up and I enjoy somebody else that is stirred from their life to worship God. And if they're a skilled musician or a, a, a skilled with words and they write this beautiful music that I consider to be stirring, it stirs something in me and it's fantastic and it's wonderful to have that. When our worship team comes here and they produce the music and they're led by the Spirit, they stir. But I just want to warn you, just because you're standing next to somebody worshiping doesn't mean you're worshiping. Just because you're enjoying their worship doesn't mean you're worshiping. It's fine to enjoy their worship, but that is supposed to stir in you that you step into worship. That you begin to worship. Worship isn't what happens on stage only. It's the job of our worship leaders to worship God and to praise God so that that evokes and draws from all of us our worship. God is worshipped when we worship. Nobody can take my place in worship. Nobody can fill my space. There are, there are no surrogate worshipers. You cannot pay somebody else to worship on your behalf. I'd love to do that because I think I'm not helping anybody with my singing. I'd love to pay Mika to worship on my behalf. She does a far better job of it. Her skills, her range, her ability. I was standing next to her last night and we were singing in a thing and I was like, I shouldn't be singing. I really shouldn't be doing this. But why do I feel the confidence? Because somebody like her opens space. But she can't worship on my behalf. I have to worship. I have to prostrate myself before God. I have to adore Him. I have to. Now when we come together in a, in a space like this, we talk about corporate worship. But can I say, there is no corporate worship until we each don't individually worship. Corporate worship is not this. And we stand and say, wow. What a wonderful time of worship we had because our musicians were so fantastic. They were so led by the Spirit. They were so on point. Man, aren't we blessed as a community? What amazing worship. <laughs> and these guys understand it. They, isn't it beautiful when we have moments like we've had so often lately where you actually hear the musicians quiet down and you hear the congregation because this is about us worshiping. Now, it's great to, and, and they have an important role to help lead us and guide us but I want to worship. And you know, sometimes I go to services and churches and places and the worship is not my style. It's not my preference. It's not my noise level. It's not my beat. I like a funky beat, man. It's not my beat. It's not my way. But that shouldn't stop me from worshiping. It shouldn't stop me from worshiping. Because I worship. Because He deserves it. He deserves my worship. Every moment, all the time. We want to be a people that worship. You see, and when we worship, we spread worship in our nation. What, are, what is our responsibility? This week is to go. Is to go and worship God. Because where we worship, that worship will draw others into worship. It'll make space for others to worship. Where we sing this new song, others can come into that song. And we sing that song, most of the time with no music, but just with our lives, we go. And we want to present this nation 
The sound of this nation, the contribution that this nation has to make. You see, if this nation doesn't worship God, there's a gap in the worship that nobody can fill on our behalf. We want to worship God. We want to hear Zulu, we want to hear Koza, we want to hear Afrikaans, we want to hear English. We want to hear every language. We want to hear Tswana. We want to hear the Khoi languages. We want to hear every language in this nation declare the greatness of our God. Because He deserves praise. He deserves worship. And when we're together, we try and find the ways that facilitates and draws everybody into a space. And it's always a bit tricky. But the heart is, Lord, everyone. Everyone. Worship team, you guys can join me on stage. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, His intent was this, that now, now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Do you think there's rulers and authorities that need to know some of the manifold wisdom of God this week? How will they know if the church doesn't make Him known? Nobody else has been given this job description but the church. We are the missionaries that go. And when we worship, when we live these lives of worship, others can step into that place. So let's use our tongues. Let's use our hands. Let's use our feet. Let's use our hearts. Let's use our beings to worship the Lord together. We're going to do something just now that I would love to help you just put in the right space Why we're doing this. But before we do it, let me just say that if you, as we end the service, I'm not ending it now, I'll end it just now. But if you need prayer this morning, after we've ended the service, you're welcome to come to the front. If there's anxiety in your heart, if you think you're worshiping in the wrong direction, if you're struggling, come let us pray with you. If there's a need in your life, if you're feeling out of tune, come let us pray with you. Let's ask the Holy Spirit with you. If you want to be baptized today, we've got baptism happening in the functions always. We always do out there to my right. People will help you find the place. But if we can serve you in any way, let's do that. We prayed together as a team and we felt it would be good for us today to end the service by singing our national anthem. Now let me tell you, explain to you why. We want to sing our national anthem as a, as, a, as a way of putting our nation before the Lord. Now you, now, you may not be part of this nation. That's why we're wearing colors and flags and everything. It's, you always have to understand, you know, that when we do these things, there's, there's a love for our nation, but it's not patriotism that drives it. It's not us saying our nation's better than any other nation. It's not saying our nation is somehow special, more special than any other nation. This is us saying, Lord, you have come for every nation. And this is where you've placed us. And we want to play our part in every other nation of the world also where you send us and go and, 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 and let all nations. But we planted here, our feet is here, and we want to make sure that we present this nation to you. Now our national anthem is a song that endeavors to bring people together. It includes different components and it brings different people together. And we just felt and I hope you can put this in the right place in your heart. That as we sing this song together, that we stand and we say, Lord, we love our nation. And we put our nation before you. Is that okay? Can you do that with us today?
Can we do that together? So won't you stand and I'm going to ask Chris that he's going to lead us in singing the national anthem. When we've finished singing the national anthem, you are free to leave. Come forward for prayer. And as you go and vote this week, may the Lord guide you and lead you. I think as you step into that space, thank the Lord first of all. Say, thank you, Lord, that I can vote. And thank you, Lord, that I'm free to do as I feel led by you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris.